Welcome to the Morris and Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number 43. I'm Mike Updegraff. And I'm Joshua Klein. And we've got a few things going around on yep. around here as usual. Yeah, always busy uh, in the shop, uh, working on construction stuff. Uh, and we got a new book in stock, yes, a new, excited about a new old one. book, yep. a book that you should read if you have not read it yet. Yeah. And we believe that so strongly that we are have decided to carry this book in our store to make sure that all of the M&T readers and listeners yep. get a copy and, and read it. Yeah. Strangely enough, it's not actually even about woodworking. No. So that's that says something about the uniqueness of the book. Yeah, so we're finally stocking Matthew Crawford's Shop Class as Soulcraft. Yeah. Um, it's a book that uh, we have uh, drawn a lot of inspiration from and uh, appealed to in different uh, arguments that we've talked about. We even had uh, in, in an issue of our magazine in the past, we had uh, Nancy Hiller recommend this book. Um, so th- this book, uh, Matthew Crawford is looking at, he's sort of a... A defense of the the trades, a defense of manual work and the the benefits of it over against, you know, he used to work at a think tank. And so the cerebral, uh, abstract kind of work that he said, you know, as I I remember, you know, he's talked about, you know, in that kind of work, you're never wrong. It's just sort of lots of random ideas and there they are floating around. But in his work, uh, he used to be an electrician and he said, you know, you flip the switch at the yeah. end of the day. And, and you know if you were wrong. <laughs> yeah, the, either the light comes on or it does not. And that's something really refreshing that uh, the human species needs to be reminded of, that yeah. some things just you know don't work and you can't just theorize about it, but you have to actually right. get your hand, roll up your sleeves and get your hands to work. But uh, Matthew Crawford uh, left that world, uh, the world of think tanks and such, and started his own bike shop, re- yeah. repairing motorcycles, and wrote this book um, based on his his experience as a philosopher in the past, and then you know turning wrenches uh, back like he did when he was in high school, and wrote this book saying, "Hey, you know what? Actually, this yeah. is like where it's at." Yeah, you should you should think about this because so many people now are into um, are are in fields of you know knowledge work, right? Yeah. Where Joshua, like you said, it's you can be right just based on how you frame your argument. But mm-hmm. There are certain things like if you're actually framing a building, you your wrongness becomes obvious. Things don't line up. It's, you know, something's cut two inches too short. And, and you know, because you're dealing with physical and, and real things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's a great book, and we are, we are psyched to have it. Um, and hopefully, uh, if you haven't read it, you'll check that out. Um, also, things are moving ahead kind of quickly. It seems like things are we're Rapidly. getting the, the snowball rolling down the hill here on the house project. Yep. The 1810 house project uh, that we've been talking about. Uh, my This this old house that uh, my wife and I took down and uh, Mike uh, and, and Mike C is also helping with. Um, and we are working on this house. But before we do, we are getting a cottage, uh, sort of a sort of like a tiny house, a small timber frame, an 18 by 24 timber frame uh, set up to be sort of an interim house. Uh, mm-hmm. So my family is going to be moving in that into that in like what four weeks or something. Not long. Um, yeah. And so we got to get in there, uh, get get stuff ready. We're putting floor down and building handrails and you know all this sorts of stuff. So um, we're getting this thing set up so we can move into that um, for the um, the house project. Yeah. All of the restoration that has to happen. Uh, and so yeah, we're really excited about it, and we're talking about it a lot on the dispatch. Yeah, just this morning, this probably won't make the dispatch, but just this morning you had eight cubic yards of gravel dropped off over <laughs> there and the dump truck got stuck. So that's always exciting to see. Yeah, that was fun. Buried in the mud. Because it's still mud season around it's here. mud season. I don't know where you are, but if you're in northern New England, it's still mud season for at least another few weeks. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so check that out on the mtdailydispatch.com. But today, what we wanted to do was to talk about uh, an article in issue 12 uh, that Mike wrote. Uh, we wanted to talk about uh, his article, Skill as a Safety Net. Um, this is something that uh, we have been thinking about for a long time. Um, and we have surprisingly, I think it would surprise a lot of people to say, this is actually uh, an area that we have never yet waded into at all. Mm-hmm. Um uh, being hand tool advocates, we never actually touched on this issue really directly yeah. at all um, until now, finally, after you know five or six years or whatever it's right. been, uh, now we're finally uh, wading into it. So uh, I wanted to uh, maybe get a 
get, first just to get a seed synopsis. What is the point? What is the primary thing you want to drive home with this? And then we'll kind of, you know, dive into kind of the background, how you got into this. What's yeah. the main idea? I mean, so I'll, I'll start by backing up and saying, um, you know, most people, there, there's this, this understanding that people who are hand tool woodworkers uh, are doing it from a position of uh, like, we're better than power tool woodworkers. And there's this like assumed, it's like a straw man kind of thing where you say, oh, those hand tool people, they're all this way or that way. And, and that, that is not certainly the, the position that, that I'm coming from in this, you know, we, um, Joshua, both you and I have lots of background on power tools and machines and, and stuff like that. So um, I'm looking at this from just a more um, pragmatic view of, of why do we always assume that if people are doing woodworking, it's using machines? Mm -hmm. You know, what, why is that the most basic assumption about woodworking? And, and what's really behind that? And also what's kind of the danger in that, inherent in that for like a beginner who goes in and says, oh, geez, I need to tool up. I need to go and find out what, what I should buy. So I should probably watch like some home improvement network and figure out, you know, the tool sponsors there are the ones I should probably go to my local home center and drop the credit card for so I can do woodworking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, why is that the way that people approach this? Yeah, and, and so, I mean, another way of saying it, the opposite way of saying it is, why is the assumption that, of course, I wouldn't do hand tool only? Right. If I'm sane, yeah. I will use yeah. power tools Yeah, I'm not, well. a, I'm not a masochist, and so, right? Yeah, so. So, so the the question that I took from your article is is that kind of thing, saying, why do we assume yeah. we would, of course, not use hand tools right. only? And so then you're kind of looking at those two different <clears throat> worlds, as yeah. it were, the... Um, the the path of the power tools and the path of hand tools. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so why are you writing about this? Why do you care? Why is this something mm -hmm. that you felt like, you know, what what in the past or you know what you know, like led up to this that you felt like okay, I want to talk about this now. Yeah. Um, a lot of it has to do from um, just that experience. I I worked in a boat shop for for a decade and uh, it was almost entirely except for a lot of final. Fini uh, fiddly finished stuff. It was um, primarily on machines, right? And we we had all these operations. Uh, we cut this. We cut a 24 foot long um, cove molding for a, a shear strike on these sailboats we made, and we'd cut diagonally across a table saw with this. So we'd have you know three guys doing it. One guy would lead it and feed it, and the other guy would stand right next to the blade with his hands holding the molding down. As oh. this thing's run diagonally across oh, the table saw, man. and that's the operation we did. So I mean, I was regularly regularly around these things and saw um, lots of close calls, but not much blood. But the one story that stuck with me from that time was um, this boatyard up the road had gotten this um, this woman in there working for them, and she had just come. She was fresh out of boat school, right? Mm. I, I don't remember which school she went to. But her first week on the job, she ran her hand across a shaper, right? Her right hand, her 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 primary hand, and permanently ruined it, right? So mm. she's out of boat school, like she was out at boat school for a couple years, and she gets in this job and she's done. And I I just thought oh, that is like a tragedy. That's yeah. that's like the script of a tragedy. Yeah. Um. And it just started me thinking about, you know, these things are really dangerous. And are they are they truly as necessary as we think they are for, okay, for making a living or for the hobbyist or for the homeowner? Like, mm. like where when do they become, you might say, a necessary evil for oh, okay. for productivity? Sure. For for economics, right? And because um, a lot of operations at the boatyard, I found by working backwards, like I said, a lot of the finicky trim stuff, the fine fitting details were done, we would do them with hand tools, but I'd start going kind of backwards from there and, and take another step with hand tools and go, huh, well, I just saved myself a, a walk up to the, the shaper or the, hmm. the table saw just because I did this thing here. And I found a lot of operations you could just not have to walk over to the table saw in the corner. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it, it was kind of eye opening for me because I always thought that to be a woodworker you needed a shop like Norm Abrams. Mm, I mean, yeah. he's he's successful. He's like the pinnacle of it. 
So I, I wanted, I got my little Craftsman portable table saw. It's probably the, the same first table saw that everybody ever gets. <laughs> and, you know, I had a couple routers and, and all that stuff. Um, but it was just what I thought. Yeah. So, okay, so you're approaching this, you know, I, I like how you're talking about there are kind of different categories. You're saying for the, the full-time furniture maker right. for the or you know <clears throat> woodworker uh the hobbyist and then you know the the homeowner kind of thing you know at, at what point do power tools really become you know necessary as it were right um so i think that's important to distinguish because uh what i've experienced a lot too what i've heard from people is um there isn't that distinction made at all so it's just if you're a person going <laughs> to shape wood yeah which table saw should i get or right. Should I? You could you do that only with hand tools? Right. Sort of missing the distinction of maybe we all have like different goals, what we're trying to accomplish. So maybe there are different distinctions to be made here. Right. Um, so in the article, you reference uh, you you quote from uh, several times. You quote from John Brown, yeah, Welsh uh, stick chair maker, yeah, who is kind of famous for his uh, I don't know what would, curmudgeonly cur- curmudgeonly yeah, uh, his difficult. really har- harsh words towards uh, power tools. Now again, he had uh, a relationship with power tools before that time. He even, you know, put power tools back into his work toward the end of his life. Mm-hmm. But his reputation is built on his uh, his finger pointing right at the assumption that right. woodworkers must use power tools if they want to be realistic. Yeah. And so, um, tell me about John Brown. Why did you bring John Brown in? Uh, what <clears throat> kinds of things that did that he said did you feel like were uh, helpful and and kind of brought some insight into this that you wanted to bring into the article. Yeah, so um, Lost Art Press uh, recently published a book by Christopher Williams about the life of John Brown. It's called Good Work, and that's kind of a take on uh, John Brown's longstanding um, column in uh, Good Woodworking. Uh, he was he was the original anarchist woodworker, right? And yeah. Chris Schwartz has been highly inspired by Brown. Um, he, he draws a lot of inspiration, a lot of his, uh, his thinking about things like marketing and advertising and mm-hmm. the way people are influenced by those things. He drew those directly from, uh, from John Brown. And so uh, in, in his book, um, Christopher uh, shares, I think it was like 19 articles that he got permission to reprint in their entirety in that book. And uh, they feature... Uh, the thoughtful John Brown, the John Brown like appreciating the beauty of the birds and the sunrises mm-hmm. and all this. And it also, he got like a good cross section. He got the cantankerous John Brown. He got, <laughs> he got the unhinged John Brown. The unhinged. <laughs> so um, Brown would, he would go off on, um, ironically enough, as a, a columnist, a regular columnist in a magazine, he'd go off on... Uh, publications that got most of their revenue from advertising. Hmm. He said, how can they not be biased, right? right. Sure. Like they're, the, the ones who are advertising are the machine makers in these magazines. They're not getting all their money from like the, the lumber yards and the glue makers. If you wanna make money selling stuff to woodworkers, you've gotta make machines. That's where the money is. Hmm. You can make hand tools, but a good hand tool will last you your whole life. <laughs> right that's that's a problem if you want to make money if you want to keep getting repeat customers yeah you need the new model of the you cordless drill the every single exactly. year exactly yeah. because these machines wear out or mm. machines get outdated or you can get uh, you know bluetooth technology with your new uh, table saw which everybody's like that's awesome i can sync to my phone that's so cool uh, it's so know, useful it's so very useful but then you know in two years you have the new Bluetooth capability, so you better up, upgrade. You know, it's time to upgrade. Yeah, especially when you get the new phone that isn't compatible yeah, with the old one. Right. You have to oh, keep updating. My new iPhone doesn't sync to my table saw. I need the either a, a new app or a new patch, or maybe I should just get a new table saw. Probably that's the way to go. <laughs> so um, Brown, uh, he, he, he ranted about these things in, in a delightful way, you know, like, curmudgeons are very entertaining uh yeah they're kind of sweet 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I kind of aspire to that one day to be the the thoughtful curmudgeon. Yeah, you're on your way. Yeah, okay, good. Good. <laughs> I, I'm I'm glad to hear it. Okay, so but then on the other end of the spectrum, I thought it was so interesting. You brought in John Brown, who mm. has who's notorious with this reputation uh, of being this curmudgeon, and really, you know, I think I think he's said the harshest words about power tools that I've ever heard. Yeah. I, I can't think of anybody who said more blunt, direct yeah. things about it. Yeah, he talks about power tools like if they're in your shop, they steal your joy. Like they, they're <laughs> robbing your skill. Like if if you have a power tool, he'll, he says something like, uh, that's fine if you want to let it take away your skills and abilities. <laughs> like if, if that's what you want, then that's fine. Like this is this Whoa. is what he says about this kind of stuff. Yeah. So okay. So you got that on on the one hand, and then the other the other uh, character, the other figure you bring into this article quite prominently is Dr. Vincent Lawrence. Yeah. Um, which is sort of I th- I really thought it was interesting that you brought in these two ends of the spectrum to talk about uh, things, and they kind of came to a really similar kind of conclusion, yeah. not identical but similar. Yeah. Um, so tell me, who's who's Vincent Brown or Vincent Lawrence, rather, um, and uh, what is his his take on this whole thing? What's his background? Yeah, so um, uh, Vincent Lawrence is is very interesting. Uh, he and I uh, talked for a long time about this stuff on several different occasions. Um, so back in the late '90s, he was an editor at Fine Woodworking and also at Fine Home Building magazines. Mm. Um, and so as, as an editor, he, um, he would, you know, go over articles, he'd send photographers to these different venues. He, um, you know, would, would clean up the publication. He'd go through all the ads and get all that stuff laid out and everything. Um, but as he was, um, he was there for a number of years and this is, this is the really interesting part to me. He left publishing altogether to go back to medical school. He was essentially, he, he was telling me, he's essentially been in medical school for 20 years, right? So um, he, he became a, a reconstructive and plastic surgeon. He focused on hand reconstruction, uh, mm. reconstructive surgery. Uh, he said it was partially inspired by all the injuries he was seeing as an editor at Fine Woodworking. Um, wow. You know, he, he's like, first of all, he finds finds the workings of the human body absolutely fascinating. Some of the details and stuff that, that we were talking about are just mind-boggling mm. about the, the precision of the uh, the human body and human hands and how fine the details are inside the human hand. Like he was explaining some of what it takes to put a damaged hand back together. And I, I, I mean, 20 years is not enough study to figure that stuff out. Mm. That is unbelievable to me. Um, but, you know, he from that angle like he uh he also really wanted to like i said help people who have been uh damaged in this way like it it gave him this perspective of wow there's a lot of this going on Hmm. i mean to the point where you know some of the statistics are uh every year in the u.s um 40,000 people are injured or like go to the hospital because of injuries from table saws. I'll just mm. use table saws to pick on because <laughs> I mean, I, I won't just say machines. I'll just, I'll just focus on table saws, right? 40,000 people a year of which 10% of those are amputations. Wow. Okay. So, and, uh, you know, when you think about, uh, that occurring. These are not people who go, they wake up the morning and they say, I think I'll go cut off my fingers today. These are people who are just going about their business on their table saw, right? Uh, It's typically not beginners that this happens to because beginners are terrified of the table saw. And uh, you'd say, you might say rightfully so. These are people who have have run a board through there a thousand times and Mm. something just goes wrong because you know, your, your typical table saw has a, a couple horsepower and all that force is being applied on, you know, a fraction of a square inch of surface area on a board. So something gets sideways, something gets crooked, some things can happen very fast, way faster than thought. Hmm. And so he was, he was seeing, um, this kind of stuff happen, um, a lot. In fact, he told me, he said, one of the more noteworthy stories was, he sent a photographer to go and um, do a shoot for this guy who had written an article. And uh, this guy, he said he was like this this old uh, older professional woodworker. 
and they went into shop and he has like the big open band saw and the massive, you know, unisaw and uh, no guards on anything. And the guy, he was like joking about that. Like, I don't, I don't need guards on any of this stuff, which is, which is pretty typical, right? Yeah, like sure. the first thing to get pulled off a table saw are the guards when you're using it regularly because hmm. they, they do, they get in the way. Um, and so as this guy is uh, photographing for the shoot, uh, the, the woodworker proceeds to cut off all his fingers on a saw, <sighs> on a powered saw. And so this, this, uh, this photographer was absolutely shocked, like absolutely like, like traumatized mm. by this, I by bet. this photo shoot. And so, so, uh, Vincent was telling me, yeah, that kind of stuff makes you think, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, um, but it, it goes back to, uh, you know, this, this thought about like, okay, so, so why is it that so many people believe that that's the way to go? Yeah. Like you have right? to go that way. You have to go that way. Um, because it is, it, it is frankly very dangerous. Um, power tools are frankly very dangerous. Uh, you know, statistically a table saw is more dangerous than a chainsaw. I, what do you mean? How so? How, so how is a table there saw? There are twice as dangerous? many injuries per year on a table saw in the U.S. Twice as twice many. Twice as many. And so when I read that number, I, again, was shocked because you'd think, you know, pretty much every homeowner with like half an acre or more, they go and they buy a chainsaw. Sure. So right. it's, it's lots and lots of people who don't know what they're doing. And a chainsaw, you know, you're clearly you're cutting down trees. This is not a, a yeah. safe thing, no matter how you cut it. But twice as many people are injured every year on on table saws. Hmm. Um, well, that's interesting because it reminds <laughs> me of, so I think, you know, it'd be easy to assume, as you said before, this is not just the first time somebody uses a table saw. Um, right. I mean, that you'd kind of assume that, like, you know, maybe... 39,000 of those 40,000 people, maybe that was their first time using a table saw. Right. Yeah. That's actually not how it works. Yeah. Um, I, it was interesting because, you know, when I think about somebody, if I try to th just name people who are active today, who really, um, you know, of all people would really, uh, yeah. ha like it, one of the things I've heard is, well, uh, it's safe to use table saws as long as you, you know, have your head on straight and keep, you're careful, right? right? right, right. As long as you're paying attention to your work, you're totally safe, Right. And so if you're skilled, you won't do that. What's so interesting is if, so if I were to picture somebody who would like embody that, yeah. who knows how to use skilled, a table saw, yeah. I would think one of the top people in my head would be uh, uh, Bexford, Chris, yeah, Bexford, Chris Bexford, that he is so skilled using so many different hand tools and machines and yeah, all sorts of stuff, all these different things, right? Yeah. And it was so interesting to me that a few years back, he... Um, he bought a table, or he bought a saw stop, mm -hmm. replaced his old Delta Unisaw, probably, I assume, and got a saw stop. And a week later, he, he hit it. He hit it. He triggered oh. it. He hit his finger. And he wrote a blog post on his blog talking about, like, you know, basically he was saying what I just said, saying, yeah. I don't care who you are, how long you've been doing this, do not take this for granted. Yep. This is serious. This is not something that, you know, only if you're naive, then you this is dangerous. But if you keep your head on straight, it's safe. Uh, he was saying, no, don't buy that, you know? Yeah. So, but the other thing about it is it's sort of like, um, you know, this, this idea that, you know, well, table saws, machines are, are really safe as long as everything goes perfect. Mm. Right. As right. long as you're not tired That's true, yeah. or hungry and the wood doesn't have any knots in it mm -hmm. and there's no, you know, inherent tension in the wood. Yeah. And as, as long as everything as long as is perfect, wood is completely it's totally predictable safe. and uniform. Yeah. And you are able to operate that tool in a completely uniform machine-like way. Yeah. So as, but if you're only in danger if things aren't perfect. Right. Which is which is the world. all the time. Yeah. We're not in the metaverse <laughs> yeah, exactly. here. So uh, this is the real world and it is unpredictable. So, you know, the way to protect yourself, I mean, because you have to, if you're going to use a machine, you have to protect yourself from it, right? Sure. You have to remove yourself from the process. Um, of course, Bexford had a, a great idea, buy a saw stop, mm. right? So yep. you apply uh, a degree of expensive technology to the technology so you can protect yourself from the technology. Mm -hmm. So that, that does 
um, you know, the SawStop technology is pretty great. Um, I've heard some some stats about it, and people can argue back and forth about, you know, like false fires and stuff like that. Um, I heard recently there was a woodworking school that said they had their their saw stop fire off like eight times recently, you know, all of all their saws, and like six of them were were false mm-hmm. firings, and like two were actually fingers. So of course that makes it sure. worth it, right? Yeah, I mean, and the, the I don't know the cartridge is like what two hundred something yeah, bucks or whatever. And, but how how much is a, an emergency finger, room visit? Right, exactly. You know, I mean, yeah. So it, <clears throat> economically speaking. Yeah. yeah, totally. That makes sense. But there are other angles that, um, in terms of safety, that uh, that John Brown brought up. Uh, he talked about noise and he talked about dust. So these mm. are two other things. Like if we're gonna, let's say we're comparing a table saw to a handsaw, right? Mm. Uh, noise is not a problem with a handsaw. Sure. Right. Dust is not a problem with a handsaw. Handsaws take larger pieces that drop to the floor. Well, what do you mean safety with dust? Because, I mean, yeah. dust is annoying. Yeah. And I get home and you can blow your nose and there it yep. comes. And dust, it's kind of annoying. Dust will kill you. I mean, uh, Brown talked about nasopharyngeal cancer and the rates of that with woodworkers, right? So you have to protect yourself from the dust that a, mm. a table saw. So if you have a table saw and you're using it all the time, like when we do that operation at the boat shop, running the board across diagonally. So we had a massive central dust collector, but after a day of milling out those boards, the inside of the shop looked like the surface of the moon. Mm. And then it was another half day of cleaning to get it back to where we could oh, uh, we could utilize that space again. I mean, it's like a quarter of an inch of dust on every horizontal <laughs> surface. Unbelievable, you know. Halfway through it, the place is like you can't see one. And it's all like tropical woods that are like yeah, yeah, exactly. The the worst stuff to breathe. So so not only the central dust collection, which you need if you have these tools, um, and then there's a new thing to maintain and upgrade and run, right? But then you got to wear the the dust mask, the PPE, Mm. and you got to wear the hearing protection because every table saw on the market is loud enough that it can damage your hearing. So, uh, just the running, just, just the running, running of a table. Yeah, just saw. running it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like 105 decibels is a pain threshold, and they are all going to cause harm there. Hmm. So, that's like a long term vision because obviously, no one's going to uh, show up at the shop and then also have a dust accident, you know, yeah, where they like exactly they inhale right. too much dust yeah. and they keel over. Yeah. Uh, but you're saying so the, the safety thing, people assume it's about cutting fingers off. Right. Uh, and that sort of immediate acute situation that you end up in an emergency room. But you're saying, John is John Brown's talking about, there's actually, you can't only think in short term. Right. Also, long over term, the long term. You're going to go deaf and you're going to develop some sort of weird uh, cancer or some some like permanent mm. inflammation in your yeah. nasal passages. So I would love, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear, you know, I can't imagine someone would say, yeah, but who cares about that? You know, let's only think about the short term. I mean, right. well, obviously, not many of us uh, really want to take on something that we know is a high likelihood of cancer right. or whatever. Yeah, a long-term thing. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we should have that long view on most anything we engage in. Um, the other thing a soft stop can't help you with is kickback. Mm, yeah, um, totally. I remember, um, again, one time at the boat shop, uh, somebody I worked with had a board kick uh, from him and shoot backwards and stick in the wall behind him, like 10 or 15 feet behind mm. him. And so we all, the the guy who owned the shop called us all in after lunch. We walked down there and took a look at it. And he said, yeah, that could be your like stomach. Mm. So yeah. uh, be careful, <laughs> right? It was always be careful. Oh, and um, man. Our, our friend Jim Tolpin sent us a picture from uh, Port Townsend School of Woodworking. They have uh, at this point, it's become like a conversation piece, I think. I don't think they can use that anymore. There's a telephone uh, there that was impaled by a board. It blasted through the phone and into the wall, and they kept this phone with the piece of wood. They probably cut the piece of wood off. I don't know how long it was originally. Maybe that is the whole thing. Yeah. But he sent us this picture of it uh, to say, yeah, check this out. It's destroyed this thing. Right, it's like it just, like, uh, pierced right yeah, through the middle right of the phone. It. It's amazing. Um, and uh, uh, Dr. Lawrence was talking about kickback too. He's like, yeah, kickback can break your spine. 
you know mm. it can the the right piece at the right angle the and you're standing in the right place and you are you're paralyzed and that shard going into your leg or something yeah right so uh, but so actually i'm curious about the the like repair so if we go back to thinking about I can picture someone saying, okay, well, the kickback, sure, that would really mess you up. But like, if you cut fingers off, they can just reattach them. Yeah. Like that happens, you know, they, oh, fingers yeah. get reattached. So, um, yeah, sure. That would be traumatic and be scary, but, but they can you can race, you can, you know, race over to the ER, they can get you in there and they can reattach them. And, you know, you have a few months of some stiffness, but right. then you can regain mobility. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's, uh, a big part of, um, what, Dr. Lawrence was talking about is that that is a misconception among woodworkers that you can restore yourself back to the way it was. He said, uh, because I mean, even with the amazing technology in surgery uh, today, um, because of the incredible complexity of the hand, he said pretty much, you know, his quote was, you can't put Humpty back together again. Hmm. Um, you can get, if you've removed a finger, you can put it back in place the best surgeons can get it bending again. You can restore a little bit of feeling, but he said, uh, for the most part, it will be a less than useful digit. And there have been, he says, it's really sad to see how many people go in for, what do they call them, Re like revision amputations. Oh, wow. So they try functioning with this finger for a couple years and they say, it's just in the way, take it off, you know, cut it off again. And wow. he said, you see that pretty regularly. So why, why can't they reattach it? I mean, you're saying yeah. it's complex, but yeah. Um, you know, I remember in, didn't he say something about, uh, the, the tearing motion yeah. or so something? It's, so it's, it's like, the type of injury. He said, uh, this is what he told me. He said, the type of injury makes a huge difference. A sharp guillotine like injury, a chisel blade, for example, lends itself to good repair because there are good edges to reapproximate. So it's super clean. Okay. Right? It's like a, a, yeah. a clean slice. Yeah, and okay. then he says, on the other hand, many or most woodworking power tools are rotary tools, which sever some tissues, but also have a grabbing and ripping component. Oh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I don't have an iron stomach. Um, so it, it is. it was difficult for me to talk. A lot of the stuff we talked about did not make the article. I'll just say that. If you haven't read the article yet, it's not... It's not that gruesome. It's not... Because we, we cut it, it all out. <laughs> That's right. Oh, and all the pictures we yeah. were sorting through yeah, for the article some, for design, we were like, oh, yeah. oh. Just Google table no. saw injuries if you want a bad a bad a half hour to spend. <laughs> Don't do it before lunch. Goodness. Or right after. Um, so then, yeah, he says, in the milliseconds before a table saw completely transects a finger, it has grabbed only partially severed blood vessels, nerves, and tendons, and yanked them viciously. Yikes! So that's interesting because it's so they're rotary tools going so fast that yeah. they're that they're kind of half severing, but then they're tearing. Yeah, they're pulling, which is different time. than you know if you were say a sharp axe or a chisel or something right. like that you're actually like severing. Clean, it cut. just severs off, and it's not ripping and tearing. Oh yeah. my god, this is gross. Yeah, that's brutal. I don't think anyone's so listening to this podcast anymore. They're like, this no, is gross. Not. You guys are sick. <laughs> yeah, we're we're just reporting the facts, folks. We're not. <laughs> Not going anywhere beyond that. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean the 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 key to safety with these tools, with these machines, is removing yourself as far as you can from the operation. You have to isolate yourself in PPE. You need to isolate yourself with hearing protection, with breathing protection, with eye protection. Uh, you know, body protection isn't a bad idea. Again, kickback. There are all yeah. kinds of guards you can use. There's all kinds of technology you can apply to the process. So I've heard of, so it's interesting because isn't there, I've looked up, I've kind of learned mm -hmm. about, um, there are these, what are they called? Like uh, board feeding um, yep. things that you can, if you're at the table saw, instead of you standing in mm -hmm. the line of fire right. and pushing the board through, you can have a self-feeding uh, machine that sort of like a, yeah. has a track that it pushes the board through the table saw. It's yeah. interesting to me that not many people, I've never, I don't know anyone that I'm aware of who's, who's used, who's one, used of one of those things. Yeah. But that seems like, you know, if, when you're standing at a table saw pushing the board in, you are in the line of fire. Yeah. You are, the, you're seriously the weakest link in that. Um, there are a lot of self-feeding machines. Um, if they rely on you to feed, you are the one who's going to likely screw up. Um, so mm -hmm. by making yourself the weakest link of a machine operation, 
oh, you're goodness. asking for trouble. You might as well just have the machine do the work for you. Sure. Right? It'd be a lot safer. Which, which sure. would get yeah. us to, maybe we'll talk about it in a little bit, the idea of, okay, well then how much of this machine work, as John Brown would say, how much of my skill am I going to give away to a machine? Okay. Um, how much of that am I willing to Okay, so that's the thing. Out? So someone's saying, well, I don't want to... I don't want to do that. I don't want to, you know, get a board feeding apparatus. Yeah. I, I want to be the one, I want to be involved in it. I want to be yeah. pushing the board through. I want to be involved in this. And I don't, you know, I've already, you know, I, I don't want to be standing off to the side and clicking go or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, so there is this desire to be in, involved with the work, but there is this reality too, you're talking about that it is a, a relatively risky proposition. Yeah. Certainly much more risky or uh, risky in terms of health for, you know, like a handsaw. Right. I, theoretically, I guess you could take a finger off with a handsaw. I, I feel like you have to be pretty dedicated to the task. Yeah. You have to go into it. Or pretty um, lubricated wanting, or something. Yeah. Wanting to take <laughs> your whole finger off. Um, you know, that I always like to joke, well, I do have saw stop technology. I just, if I hit my hand, I stop sawing. Yeah, it's flesh and detection. It's flesh immediate. It works immediately because I'm hardwired to the the power source of that tool, right? Oh, Just like the saw stop. And I get that. I the sensor goes off, and I go, "Whoa!" Yeah, I'm gonna stop there. Um, but yeah, like just in terms of, um, I would say um, machines are inherently disengaging. Okay. For your own safety, they have to be. Yeah. You have to remove yourself from the operation of working that material. So, okay, so hold on. So you're saying machines are disengaging. So like, you know, when I think of engagement, what I mean is like uh, super involved, intimately acquainted with, close in, attentive to what's going on right, right there. You're like really like, you know, engaged. Exactly it's like gears. You can't do like you're, with a machine. Like with gears, you're locked in. The teeth are engaged. You're yep. intermeshed with it right there, tight, and you're experiencing it. And so you're saying the path to safety with machinery is to disengage, back to off. get some distance. Yep. You can't put yourself into the gears of the machine. You got to right. back up. You need to have the guard. You need the PPE. Right. So you're you are distanced from from the the, the operation happening. Right. Okay. Yep. So uh, in order to be safe, you have to step back. And a lot of most of the woodworkers that that we talk to, most of the woodworkers who say subscribe to woodworking magazines or watch woodworking YouTube videos are not doing this to make a living. They are doing it because they love making things. They're doing it because they love working with wood. They, mm -hmm. they love the results they get. They like getting their tools tuned up and, and cutting that fresh shaving and, and they wanna work these materials with their hands. And so, you're telling them that, first of all, they need to uh, they need to machine up if they're going to be a real woodworker. That's what all the the magazine ads say. Like uh, this is the latest machine. This is the greatest machine. This is this. You know, if I hear like one more time about <laughs> hey hey you're doing the curmudgeon thing. Oh That's yeah. Great. If I hear fire one more like, like these blog days. post about the best beginner's table saw or like a podcast or like whatever. It's that I feel like that's just a, a wrong-headed approach. Okay. Like the the way for a beginner to learn is learn to cut joinery, learn to prep stock, learn to work wood, and then you can decide if you're going to try and uh, go bigger. You're gonna you're gonna like if you're gonna plug a shop in. Mm -hmm. You know that that's a decision for like later down the line. Makes me think of uh, Dawson Moore uh, and all the cups he's making and the spoons and all that kind of stuff and. Um, how I actually think in the most recent issue of fine woodworking, he has, a um, he's carving a cup, a, a kooksa and, and I think he's in there, he's showing how he uses, um, his bandsaw to rough shape instead of hewing it with an ax, like he did when he first started learning, he's right. now incorporating a bandsaw. So he's trying to, you know, feed his family, yeah. uh, making a living, just cranking out high production. Um, I mean, he's not a factory, but one yeah. person making lots he, of wooden cups. He makes cups. like over a thousand objects in a year. Yeah. So, I mean, so that definitely makes sense that that's someone trying to take that in, someone who's super skilled, right. able to take a, a machine in, in a very selective way to mm -hmm. maximize his productivity yeah. uh, for these great ends. That, that to me makes a lot of sense. But but you're saying I, I agree. Most people are not Dawson. They're right. not. They're not yeah. trying to feed their family by making 
uh, wooden cup after wooden cup after wooden spoon after right. They're, they have some other job and their woodworking is their hobby. So then the question is, okay, so do you need a machine? Right. Is that important? Is that um, an essential ingredient? Right. Uh, for a, a woodworking shop. Yeah, and uh, Brown talks about he he says this interesting thing. Uh, <clears throat> he says uh, the plugged in are the majority. That is the way it is. Perhaps they have their own Zen, but they listen to the ad man and he has told them to buy machines. <laughs> I like letting Brown say this stuff. There are clever people hard at work at this very moment inventing machines to do more things. And there is a conditioned woodworking public out there eagerly awaiting the results. Hmm. And so that's a Brown thought that got published, right? Yeah. You can imagine how much got cut. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so so going the other way, uh, start starting to think about if machines for safety's sake are inherently disengaging and most woodworkers are in woodworking because they want to engage, then you got to start thinking in the other direction. You got to yeah. start thinking, so how can I engage this process? How mm -hmm. should I look at woodworking in a way that gets me closer to the materials and allows me to work on developing skill with these materials. So, but I mean, I, I've heard a lot, you know, hand tools are dangerous too. You can cut yeah. a finger off with an ax. Yeah. You can, you know, there are all these, you know, you can slice yourself with a draw knife that that was actually, you know, something that happened uh, on, on more than one occasion. There's like yeah. sort of like this that's classic. That's what Roy Underhill says. That's what happened to his half brother, right? <laughs> <laughs> the draw knife. But I mean, these are big, serious razor sharp blades that you can do real mm -hmm. damage mm -hmm. um and so do you feel like there's some sort of difference then or i mean like would you say because i can't picture ppe when you're hewing you know like right so wh what yeah. would you say is the difference between um a, a, a skill i'm sorry like a, a safety mindset using a skillfully using hand tools versus um, a safety mindset, skillfully using a machine. Yeah. What are the the differences there? <clears throat> so an interesting shorthand, and this uh, to me is a really powerful and compelling picture. Uh, John Brown had a really interesting practice, and uh, you, you'll find it even more interesting if you've had a pile of like wood shavings in your shop, right? Uh, every morning he'd go into his shop and get ready for his work that day, and he would light a candle on the end of his workbench. And he'd, he'd have like a moment of silent thoughtfulness and then he'd get to work. And he had this funny system where he would, um, you know, he'd help price his, his furniture, his chairs based on the number of candles he burned through in making the chair. But if you can picture <laughs> at the end of your workbench in a hand tool woodworking shop, having a candle lit all the time, that seems like a bad idea. Hmm. That seems like a major safety issue. Like just, I would say, I mean, if let's not do that in my shop, All you have to do please. is strike a match and drop it in a pile of shavings and you're, you're fully involved, right, in a second. Yeah. But John Brown had a, a different thought for that because he, he viewed that as a way to focus. He viewed the candle, he would look at the candle and he would be brought back to where he needed to be. He said this, he said, the candle reminds me to concentrate, like tying a knot in your handkerchief as a remembrancer. If I don't concentrate, saw cuts go awry, gouge marks appear in the wrong place. In fact, lack of concentration lets the gremlins out of the cage. <laughs> so the candle kept him mindful. It was almost like a, a meditative device for him. Hmm. So he's working in his shop, and if he starts to get a little agitated, which we all do, he looks at the candle and he thinks, okay, deep breath, focus, concentrate. And it reminded me a lot of some of the, the practices um, I've read about, like the old um, Japanese barefoot hewers. You know, they'd stand yeah. on top of a log with these razor sharp axes and they'd be either barefoot or wearing sandals, which they might as well be barefoot. And they're hewing with, an extreme degree of skill and accuracy and nothing protecting them except their skill and accuracy, right? Wow. Yeah. That's, that's the margin of safety there. And Brown saw that too. He recognized that as long as he could stay focused and concentrate, 
he could work with amazing precision and great safety, right? Mm, yeah. Um, but once that concentration wavered, he would start to make mistakes. So that's why he would light a candle. That was his, his safety device for his shot. So are you saying that's what everyone should do? I don't think I'm saying that. No, <laughs> I would not say that. But there, there's lots of other stuff you can do. Um, I, I often find myself um, getting agitated in woodworking, right? And if, if you don't, I want to talk to you because you, you must be like the most awesome woodworker ever. Uh, wood is an agitating uh, material, Right. Which it is can, why we work with it. It is exactly why we work with it. <laughs> if we wanted something uniform, we could machine plastic all day long. <clears throat> but wood, wood invites, um, it, it's kind of like a conversation, right? Every square inch is different. And so when you're cutting joinery in something that's so diverse, you've got to deal with it. Um, and so like people talk about having, having mantras. Uh, John Brown used the words festina lente, which is a Latin for make haste slowly. Um, and I bring up in the article something I learned uh, taking a motorcycle safety course. They would always say, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. So I find, find myself, if I start getting antsy or ahead of myself, I'll say that. I'll say, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Mm -hmm. Because you're faster when you don't make mistakes, right? You could go fast and make a mistake and have to fix it or you could go slowly and smoothly and progress carefully and then get to the finish line a lot faster i what was that one i can't remember who it was but somebody told me when you're rushing he said hurry up and do it faster so you have time to redo it later <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's pretty good yeah i um i i was thinking a lot for for the section of the article where I talk about like distractions in the shop and, and engage, engaged focus, right? Like different ways to, to withdraw distractions. Like we are so distracted. People are so distracted today. We don't. What was that? What did you say? Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't listening. Yeah. Who was it? Who said, was it Blaise Pascal? I can't remember. He said like the entire problem of the human race is our inability to sit alone in a room for yeah. any period of time. And I think there's something to that. Like we, we have so much going on in our minds and such an inability to, to just quietly engage with one thing at a time. We're always trying to do 10 things at a time. And if we're working with super sharp edge tools and uh, like carving knives or saws, well, we need to set some of that stuff aside. And so I'll, I'll draw, like, draw a distinction between sawing with a table saw or yeah sawing with a, a table saw and sawing with a hand saw and that the the distraction and the potential error you bring in is is your own it's inside your head hmm. a table saw offers it no matter what no matter how focused you are hmm. there is still potential for something to go wrong sure um, because of the the amount of energy being used, which is outside of the human body's ability to cope. Okay. With, with a handsaw, any distraction you bring in is, is your own, mm -hmm. right? It's not from outside. You're the power source, you're the guide, you're the fence, you're everything there. So um, there, there are certain degrees to which you can make your woodworking that much more mindful and focused and therefore uh, precise and safe makes me think about the um uh, you know the hearing protection that for shops that i've seen that have um bluetooth so you can yep. listen to music while you're yeah. doing yeah woodworking. i totally have, have a nice at, set of those okay yeah. so you're standing at the table saw listening to this podcast right now mm -hmm. saying wow what they're what they're talking about is so engaging i can't i can't stop thinking about what they're saying oh my fingers yeah uh, <laughs> i I totally am guilty of listening to music while running a table saw Interesting. over my headphones. Wow. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes you'd be there for a long time ripping out a bunch of the same size stock. And so you're wearing the ear protection. You might as well plug in your iPod or whatever and, and just listen to your playlist while you're gone. Because, you know, otherwise you're disengaged from the process, right? When you're not the power source, all you're doing is, is feeding the board through. So your body's not really engaged, your mind wanders. Uh, if you're ripping those by hand, uh, 
you don't you got to be focused on what you're doing because you're putting you're putting some effort into it you're you're sweating a little bit um yeah which is a kind of another interesting it's it's sort of an aside but when you talk about um what's good for the human body you know we know what's bad for the human body it's being work manual work oh yeah that is the worst what we really should should physical exertion is, like, is the path yeah. to the grave. Yeah, we want the George Jetson lifestyle. We want to get in your little vehicle and go to work and hit the button and put your feet up for the day until it's time to hit the button again. That's <laughs> that's that's the ideal. Okay, I was kidding. Uh, yeah, a sedentary <laughs> life will kill you, and that is I'm not making that up. These are that's just statistics, right? Yep. So. Um, people talk about manual work and like ripping a board to width as if it were the worst conceivable thing. But I would suggest that not doing that might be worse. You know, sure. Um, the the value of the risk of not doing it. Right. Yeah. The, yeah. the the value of getting sweaty while doing woodworking is that you're strengthening your body. You're strengthening your lungs and your heart. You're giving and yourself your core workout. muscles and like yeah. all that kind of stuff is, yeah, it's not just biceps or right. something. It's, it's a full body workout. It is. And at the same time, you're increasing in skill. Like one of the things that I have absolutely loved about our, um, the Mortis and Tenon Apprenticeship Program and watching all these students, um, you know, posting and sharing about the work that they're doing that week is they start out. Uh, really tentative, like they're, you know, nervous about ripping. They've never ripped a thing by hand. By the end of it, they're like, this is great. And this opens up new possibilities. And, and uh, ripping, I, I, it was challenging, but I really enjoyed it, right? It's, it's like you have to get over that first hurdle of how everyone says it's awful, right? Because mm -hmm. I feel like that's the picture painted, that everyone says it's awful. And, um, you know, in that I, I quoted, I found just in a quick search around a few interesting, uh, you know, advertisements about power tools. Uh, they say things like, oh, with this gadget, you can be a better craftsman or it'll help you complete a project the easy way. And then this one says, um, modern tools allow the woodworker to make his projects in a convenient way. And then later says, it's hard to imagine how it was when the early pioneers put together homes by hand with no electricity or power tools. So it's like, well, of course you do it this way. And it's hard even to imagine doing it any other way. And of course, that's how you sell something. Sure. Right. Um, but if you start thinking about the other way of doing it, the, the engaged approach, um, it, it starts opening some doors. Okay, so it's, I mean, the, the what I took from the article, the main thing is, it's it really is this distinction between engagement and disengagement. Mm -hmm. And again, the the name of the article is skill as a safety net. So the the issue at stake here, what you're talking about, is safety to physical safety for your well being, right. right? Yeah. And looking at hand tools and power tools with that particular question in mind. And so you are saying, the distinction to be made is. Um, there are two paths. Power tools, uh, the safety for power tools comes through purposely for the safety, sake of safety, disengaging. Yeah. Isolate, stay back, have guards. And the, the path to safety with hand tools is the exact opposite. Yeah. It's actually further it's engagement. Deeper engagement. Deeper engagement. Yeah. Uh, pay closer <clears throat> attention. You mm -hmm. need to be involved with your work. If you're sort of you know, you think about somebody hewing at a stump and they're kind of swinging and they're a little nervous. So they're kind of like lean back and not yeah, really engaged with it. That's way. a pretty dangerous thing yep. to do. You got to be right there paying close attention because you're swinging an ax near your fingers. Right. So you have to pay attention. Um, so that is an interesting way to put it because it's not, that's not an argument saying power tools are dangerous and hand tools are not dangerous. Mm -hmm. You are saying though, we have to be honest. We can't pretend that power tools are as dangerous as hand tools. Right. Power tools are a lot more dangerous. Yeah. That's all. I mean, obvious. that's just statistics. I mean, but, There's nothing else right. than that. So, but what you're saying is um, the point is not which one is more dangerous, but you're saying there are two different paths to safety. Right. So if a woodworker gets into this because they want to engage with the tool and the material, that's yeah. really kind of setting yeah. someone up to say, well, so yeah, I mean, then I would go to hand tools. Mm -hmm. I would, it would really make sense. And when, you know, then if they say, well, 
what I want to do is I don't necessarily enjoy woodworking. It's fine, but I really just want to make a ton of yeah. this little I knickknack thing or whatever. Things to sell. Well, then that would make sense to go the power tool route right. because that's that would you know be quickest yeah. the quickest output. Um, and obviously, then you have Dawson Moore who's totally sold on engagement and is trying to make a living. So that's where he's weaving in some of the machinery to be able to yeah, expedite exactly. that. So that's an interesting way to put it. Cause I think a lot of people just assume the question is just, which is dangerous. And if you can say, if you can cite someone, you know, who hurt themselves with a hand tool, yeah. then that makes the whole discussion about safety moot. Right. Yeah. Which doesn't, that yeah, doesn't hold up that. Yeah. That is, uh, I mean, at best it's a red herring, but, um, yeah. And we, we have heard certainly from a lot of people who say, you know, like I, I'm 68 years old and I had shoulder surgery, so I can't rip by hand anymore. Sure. And I say, yep. of course they should have a table saw because, uh, you know, how uh, you want to, to destroy do woodworking. Yeah, yeah, you want to do woodworking. But there is a danger now associated with that that there wasn't associated with the handsaw. Or you could say, okay, a bandsaw is probably a little bit safer than a table saw. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people will use a bandsaw <clears throat> because, because of that. Yeah. You don't have kickback yeah, as one. right on a bandsaw you can still take digits off with yes you can a bandsaw but um but in my mind it makes sense you know let's say fast forward and i'm i'm that guy with the shoulder you referenced and i can't do this anymore i will be (laughs) you know and when i can't do this you know my first thing is is not going to be well what is the fastest way to get this done i'm going to be asking what is the safest way to do this knowing Mm -hmm. i have this physical limitation i can't use my shoulder in that same way Actually, I remember talking. There's a, a when I was at Lost Art Press, um, for the Hens Employed to Write uh, book release party. Uh, there was a, a local guy, young guy, who actually had a shoulder injury, mm. and he was a hand tool nut, mm-hmm. loved hand tools, but he was actively destroying his shoulder. And he said, "I just can't do this anymore." Mm. And so he en- ended up getting set up with a bandsaw in his house because he said, "Basically, this is the concession I have to make. Right. I cannot physically rip boards anymore yep. with my shoulder." I don't know why he had that physical uh, limitation, but he did. And he said, so therefore, I want to maximize engagement. So I'm going to use this uh, bandsaw. It's a little bit safer just to get me so I can do that thing. For what I can't do. So I think that's just an important thing. No matter, it's it's really not, I think a lot of people think of the hand tool, power tool discussion as like a purist thing. Are you pure or are you not pure? What degree of impurity do you bring? It's like tradition or not. Yeah, Yeah. and that seems so irrelevant. That seems so not the point. But so if you think about it, it's not like which camp are you in? But I think what you're doing, it sounds like, is reframing the question, saying no matter where you're at, Hmm. think about, think carefully about the risks associated with both paths and think about what you're trying to get. And then that will really clarify your decision for tooling up, which way you want to go. Yeah. Uh, just, for a given operation. Just what, to what degree do you want to enjoy this? And, um, you know, to what t- degree does risk come into play in that um, decision? Um, I, I think I, I cited in the article, too, um, Vili Sunkvist talks about um, just in, in terms of safety, like proper technique is safe technique, right? And he... He talks about, uh, you know, so he's using obviously like perhaps the most dangerous woodworking tool separate from a, a, a chisel is just a very sharp knife. And when you're you're using a knife and a lot of those um, motions are pulling the knife towards your body, right? Sure. And so he says that, um, he says you must use a certain amount of force to cut through wood with a knife. When the knife leaves the wood by will or by accident, it must be stopped to avoid injury to yourself or others. Each knife stroke you will see must have a control or stop. So his techniques that he illustrates all are very powerful, very engaged and focused, and then they are designed to keep you safe. When done properly, the knife cannot cut you, mm. even though to someone standing watching you, it looks looks potentially dangerous but um so by by engaging the process you can increase your skill which then even more so increases your safety in doing that yeah um Hmm. it's an interesting way to frame it i think that's really helpful because yeah i think a lot of people um 
are, are not able to make those distinctions. So I, I'm really grateful for you writing this article because it helped clarify a lot for me as we were working through editing and discussing and yeah. sorting through um, this, the sort of bombastic curmudgeon stuff John Brown was saying and say, okay, well, what's his actual argument here? Because he's kind of just throwing shade on some of the stuff. off the rails. Yeah. Um, but then talking with, you know, Vincent Lawrence and saying, yeah, yeah. I mean, these numbers actually are real. This yeah. is actually a, quite a dangerous thing. Right. Um, and so it really helped reframe for me the, the discussion, thinking about power tools and hand tools. Um, and I think it's, I'm really interested to hear what, uh, what our readers think of your article. Cause I think that I hope that a lot of people, um, you know, connect with it, think about some of the arguments and I hope it refines and sort of reframes the discussion people are having about it. Um, it, those who are, uh, because I think that it's important to think about, um, we know people who have lost fingers yeah, and, uh, it's, that's no joke. No, um, it's so. definitely not. And I, um, I, I really enjoyed researching for and, and writing this article and it gave me just a, a new and deeper appreciation for, um, the, just the process of working wood with, with hand tools. Mm. Um, just, uh, taking John Brown's idea of, of just having your shop time as this, uh, this centered time of focus and almost this contemplative meditation while you're doing it. It, it just really adds to the beauty of the process, I think. I just kind of came away from it, um, appreciating it that much more. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you for writing it. Yeah, that was good. That, I really, <laughs> Thanks, no uh, problem. it was really helpful to me. So, good. and thank you all for listening to the Mortison Tenon podcast. Uh, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast to get every episode when we release them. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher and all those kinds of places. Uh, if you have any comments or questions, as always, you can leave them uh, below in our blog post or send us an email, and we'd be happy to reply. We love hearing from people. And if you have read this article, if you have some thoughts about it, if you have experiences with it, I know actually Vincent Lawrence, uh, right after he talked with you, he sent you pictures of his good friend who yeah. just cut his fingers off, just cut his like finger right off. after he yeah, talked to you. it was you know? the week after. Yeah, so you know, if you have stories uh, thinking about this or you have other thoughts to contribute, uh, we're super keen to hear them. Um, this is a, a real serious discussion, um, and uh, I think it's worth talking about. So yeah. we look forward to your comments. Thanks for listening. <laughs>